The OneOuter.com podcast is now proudly sponsored by William Hill Poker. We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use OneOuter as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7pm UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including OneOuter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill Poker account today and use OneOuter as your promotional code. And the password for the tournaments is Ginger. G-I-N-G-E-R. When inside the William Hill Poker client, just click on Tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for Tournament. Enter OneOuter and you will find the OneOuter monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. Okay, it's a great pleasure today for the OneOuter.com podcast. Um, I've had lots of poker players on, and I, you know, I usually try and get people who I think have got you know stories to tell, and not just the standard deposit fifty dollars, run up a million online stuff, and. I like colourful characters, and this guy's always had something to say. I've enjoyed his interviews previously. Um, he's professional sports better and poker player, uh, even though sometimes self doesn't call them that, is uh, Alan Boston. Cheers. <laughs> what would you say you are, Alan? A professional sports Oh, I'm better. totally a professional sports better who dabbles in poker and probably plays better than people think. Definitely yeah, play yeah. seven stud as well as anybody. And like many, when I first started playing Gnome at Hold'em, I don't read books or ask questions or talk. I try to figure out on my own. So I came up with my own way of playing, and it really – I didn't realize how bad I was until I started playing a little bit online. And I was fortunate enough to, to – uh, my son's friend wanted to be a poker player, and I kind of taught him the way I thought it should be done. And then he went home for a couple of weeks for his girlfriend's birthday party and came back out and saying, you know, I've been thinking about things. And then I watched him play, and then <laughs> I got to learn a lot. So <laughs> I didn't really get no limit at all until I started playing online. It's It's like anything else. It's rep after rep after rep. And at my age... It takes a lot more reps than it used to to understand something or to even get competent at something. So uh, 
all these old-time poker players who think the Internet kids aren't any good are just fucking stupid because they have to be because they're starting younger and they're getting a lot more reps in. And so you yeah. just get to experiment with a lot more thought. You figure out what works and what doesn't, and you're constantly tweaking it, especially when you're you know, under 25. After 25, the instinct part of your brain kind of starts shutting down, and it gets a little trickier. But I remember the uh, Mattisals of the world and, and even the helmets of the world would make fun of the kids who were playing, and it's just uh, a little lack of intelligence on their part. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm a, I am definitely a sports better by trade. I play poker because I used to enjoy it. I don't quite enjoy it as much as I once did, and that's it. That's yeah, how I describe you, myself, totally. Well, when you are talked about, you know, in circles or mentioned it, you know, in interviews and stuff, it's always about seven-card stud, and I think everyone agrees that you're, you're one of the best seven-card stud players. Um, and, you know, it's usually you and the guy, is it Danny Robinson? Um, are, are usually sort of mentioned with seven-card stud. Did you play much seven-card stud? Obviously, the American situation, you can't play online poker at all, but when you were, you know, sponsored full-tilt player and stuff, and you were always famous for, like, you know, sitting down at the low stakes and chatting with guys and trying to teach them seven-card stud, did you ever, you know, what did you think of the overall standard of play? Because when I've got guys on, it usually is hold them they're talking about. So it's interesting to have, you know, a guy that, really knows a game like seven card stud yeah i first came to vegas in 1983 uh a friend encouraged me to come out for the world series I said, but i don't play poker he said well come out anyway you'll enjoy it because it was vegas and it was vegas pre-corporate america so it was really you know literally a town you could spend 24 hours seven 24 hours a day in and not spend a dime because there mm-hmm. were free lounge acts 24 7 in every casino they served drinks liberally they gave stuff away because they didn't care they were making money and they were happy about it they didn't have to you know, cowtail to to the, to the to the bookkeepers and saying, well, you're you're down 0.01 percent this month. You know, shut yeah. those fucking drinks off. You know, uh, <laughs> so it was really a whole different world. And I sat down and I played 3060 stud. That's what it was at the Golden Nugget. And I remember because mm-hmm. the first hand I I won a nice pot. I sucked out on Linda Johnson, and I knew what she had. So I mean, you know, after after she re-raised me in in, in in four, I knew what she had, and I got there. And it took me years, really, to become efficient at the game. And strangely enough, uh, by 1989, I entered – I'll get back to that strangely enough comment. I'll, 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 I'll get back to the strangely enough comma. Okay. All right, let's, let's leave the comma there, dot, 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 for now. And 89, I entered my first World Series event. I don't remember what it was, but I made the final table in uh, seven cards. I think it was 2,500. And I uh, remember I bluffed Thor Hansen at the last table. I was all proud of myself. Uh, and finished, I forget what I finished, like third, fourth, fifth. But after that, I had like a whole shitload of good results. Uh, I think it was 94. I got heads up with Rod Pardee, who was another great player. And we just made a deal. I had him out chip two to one. But, you know, bracelets meant nothing. They're actually gaudy, ugly pieces of jewelry. And... Mm-hmm. So you got a bracelet and you got a free room at the uh, horseshoe, which no one in their right mind would want anyway. So it was just time to get it over with because I had some drugs to do and drinks to drink street be had. It was like six o'clock in the morning. They played them all one day back then, and yeah. we made a deal. I think I got one hundred six thousand. He got ninety thousand, and it, it turned out exactly exactly what my chips were worth. You know, second place money plus whatever the chips were worth, and it came out we had it. We we actually got it exactly right. I remember Jack McClellan yelling at me, "Don't ever make a deal without me again," because you know you want to make sure it's done right. And I apologize to him. Uh, 
and that was you know that that was my best result. But I, I, I played very few tournaments and cashed a lot. Like my record was probably as good as it gets uh, until we went to the Rio, where I've done absolutely nothing. Uh, the energy there just gets me a little off. So back yeah, to the well, strictly speaking dot dot dot. So obviously I'm good at this game, and and I I I'm now playing you know really big winners. I play four and a hundred. I even play five hundred thousand stud. Uh, so it's not like I haven't played, you know, with the big boys at all mm-hmm. and, and beat them. I, I definitely was one of the better players, mm-hmm. but after, after learning Nolan and Holden a little better and teaching stud at the two, four table, I, I, I was, I was, I don't think I was really a sponsored full tilt pro. I was paid to play online and yeah. You know, they didn't put me in tournaments or anything. They didn't fly me to Australia. They didn't do anything like that. I just played online, and they paid me by the hour. And I also got a raise because I did a good job. But they said learn, chat, and play with the pros. That was their big advertising campaign. But none of their red pros did it. Yeah. I said, well, if they're going to pay me this money, I'm going to do my job. So I told Howard Letterer, if you want me online, I told him no originally, which was pretty fucking stupid, to be honest with you. Uh <laughs> Because they paid well. Yeah. I said, if you want me there, I said, you know, I'll be your seven stud pro. And I want myself known as that because I don't play no one at home, you know. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. I dabble in it, but I wouldn't consider myself any good. And set up a cheap table, and I'll try to help people play. So at my table, if anyone ever wanted to talk about a hand, they could just ask, and they all knew it. And there were times where if I felt the table was comfortable with it, I would even tell them what I thought they had. This is during the play of the hand and why. Uh-huh. So they could understand how I was trying to logic hands out, how, why, uh, how I was thinking about playing the hand. Mm-hmm. And you had to learn, you know, it, when I'm saying stuff like, you know, well, I, I raised with my queen and you just called with a king. So I know you don't have two kings and in five, in four, you caught a three and called. And in five, you caught a five. Uh, you say so you're showing king three five, and you caught the five of spades in five. I said, you didn't raise me, so you don't have a pair to four flush. But your most likely hand is a four flush if you continued on. You probably don't have two sixes, two seven, something like that, because you know I have at least queens. So I give you a four flush, and I talk like that. You know, simple logic like that. It, it got a little more profound than that, but that's just a you know a quick simple example that that I came up off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And then I did the videos for him, which were praised uh, very highly by, by all. And I recall most of them were impressed by learning how to bet one pair at the river and stud. And I explained that in the video. And, and, you know, people would actually just chirp in, hey, Boston, I just bet one pair at the river and got paid off, and it was good. And I'm like, thank you, you know. I said, cool, yeah. as long as you understand why you have to do that, then, then good. And... Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it. I, I got joy, and I always wanted to be a school teacher anyway, and it just didn't pay enough. Uh, anyway, after all the know I'm holding, this is the uh, comma, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. I actually tweaked my stud game. Now, this is 15 years after I really kind of, they kind of stopped playing stud out here, 10 years after they really stopped playing stud, and like maybe 15 years since I stopped playing a lot of it. Ten years after that, because of online poker, I tweaked my stud game, which is already, you know, respected. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not going to say I'm one of the best, but probably am. But at least I'm respected and playing at a high level. And now I go and tweak it because I got all these reps because I thought about it a little more. You know, I'm not a poker player, so I never really thought about what I was doing or thought about how to make it better. Yeah. So online poker is the shit if you want to learn. It really is. Yeah. Just in terms of you can get the volume in, you can get the hands in. And then they had that hand replayer, like the kid and I would write down the hands we weren't sure of, and we'd go over and talk about it and what could we could have done. And, you know, it was just, it was it was actually kind of fun. Yeah. You mentioned the, the Rio, and I was in Vegas for only my second time last year, but it was my first World Series. And the Rio just seemed really run down to me. And I've done a few podcasts and talked about it, about like missing it this year with another pro and how I don't really care that I'm not there and stuff. And it just seemed like a big anticlimax to me. I, I didn't like the place. It seemed very plastic. And a lot of the people were in a, There was just a bad vibe around the place. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm only 29. That's exactly. You're only 29 and you, and you felt that vibe. Wow, that's and impressive. I felt that. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah, I really felt that. Because yeah. you're dead on. So, I mean, if you want to compare and contrast. So, the World Series of Poker, obviously it wasn't a big, that big a deal. And this is pre-corporate America, you know, really taking over. And the horseshoe was probably one of the last of the single people owner, you know, not corporate owned. So Jack Binion did what he wanted. But mm-hmm. the main event, which I didn't play in until many, 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 many years later, and only because I had money to, to fuck around with, you pay 10000 for your entry fee, and all $10,000 went back to the players. 10000 in, 10000 back to the players. You tipped what you wanted. Mm-hmm. When you had a let's say $5,000 event, I think the card fee was $50, and all 5000 went back to the players. So you're dealing with like, uh, you know, 1%, mm-hmm. even less than 1%, because it's actually like 5050 out. So that's what they took. And they had every right to take $50 to pay all the dealers, you know, and pay for the cards. You know, so, so they broke even, but he was happy to have gamblers in the house, eating at his restaurants, playing at his tables, betting horses, betting sports, whatever they did. It, yeah. uh, it made that, made it for a happening place, for a vibrant place, and it made it for a happy place because he usually comped most of the meals too. Now you go to the fucking Rio, where they figure out how much they can possibly rake and then raise it. So, I had planned on playing a lot of tournaments at the Rio this year. I really did. I was looking forward to it. And then the schedule comes out, and they have one seven card stud event. One. It yeah. was three for two weeks at the at the original World Series. It was fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred, five thousand. That was the, back in the day. And then even when the Rio took over, they had three stud events. Mm-hmm. And eventually they had 1,500, 2,500, or 10,000, which was kind of cool. The 10,000 stud was, was a very cool event because a lot of the kids got in there and they weren't very good. But it was a short field and a chance to win a bracelet, so they got in there. Uh, yeah. But the numbers had declined for the last eight years, so they knocked it down to one. And now I'm going to give someone who I, I don't hold in very high regard, but... I'm going to give Negrano a lot of credit because he went out, he went to them and said, no, you can't just have one stud event. It's just an important game. It's been, it was the game in Vegas for over, for over 25 years. It's what everyone played because they could play that or play limit hold'em, And most of them played stud probably 80%, 90%, of, 90% of the tables were probably stud over hold'em before the no limit boom, you know, the online boom happened. Uh, yeah. and, and, and they're going to do something about it. Because the stud players are like a separate entity. They play stud and nothing else for the most part. Most of them are too old to learn a new game anyway. But they talk about stud specialists. You don't hear about no one holding specialists, although 
I would dare say that Locke and his, his other crony, the other idiot, Esfandiari, are, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's very good either, by the way, are, you know, no limit hold them tournament specialists. And I don't even know if Locke is that. I think he's just bad. You yeah. could edit that out if you think I'm out of line there, but that's just my opinion. No, no, he's, I, just, he's just a bad player. He doesn't know how to think about poker hands. He knows how to yeah. make an asshole out of himself, which seems to work well in the States because we're basically a bunch of fucking idiots here anyway. Uh, <laughs> notice our president. Uh, but that's for another show. <laughs> and I've yeah. gone completely out of the loop here. But I, you know, I went and played the stud event. I didn't win a single chip. Not one. 7,500 chips, I won no chips. Just had nothing. Finally had buried aces, and I was up against roll, three rolled-up kings with a king out. And I, and I kind of knew it, but, you know, it was the first hand I had that was almost playable. And I, I didn't get away from it. And then I got it in good and got sucked out on a river. And when I was all in, you know, the hand played itself. Nothing happened. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And he got there at the river. Yeah. Uh, and I was out, having not won one chip. Like, almost impossible. Uh then I played the seniors because I have to play that because it's, you know, 4,500 players, most of whom can't play at all, and some of whom can play a little bit. Mm-hmm. None of whom have played as many online hours as I have, and none of whom have played online hours with a kid who's a complete genius at it and got to learn. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt very good playing that. And, again, I really didn't have anything the whole day. I, I tried to play a lot of hands because I, I felt I had a big advantage post-flop. In that, in my line of work, I have to know how to think logically. And really, if you know how to think logically, then and you can create a style that helps define your opponent's hands, mm-hmm. then you can you can play poker. Stud, you have to know your opponent's whole cards, or else you're not going to win. Yeah. And usually, so are you, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. Are you going to? Yeah, you're going to. You, you mentioned that. Like, are you going to take a shot? You know, do you play the main event? Uh, because I don't so know. Many- I had planned. I didn't play either horse event, which is which is a game I love to play. And the 5,000 horse is a very, very soft field. You'd think it wouldn't be, but it is. Because most of the people don't approach limit poker very well. They're very prone to, to gambling a little too much, and that's not really the essence of limit poker. I mean, at some point it is, but I, I, I've seen some strange things and <laughs> strange hands played. And don't, don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm very open-minded and very willing to learn. And well, last year when I played in the uh, study to better Omaha rate about a half and half, Scott Seaver was at my table and I watched him play and, and I know he's good. And, and I learned a lot, actually, I actually learned quite a bit about Omaha rate better from watching him play. And it, it was, it was cool, but you have to be open-minded. You can't be like some of these people. Oh, he's just, he's just an idiot. He gets too aggro or whatever the word is. You know, yeah. he knows what he's doing. He's smart. There's something to be said for being smart. Yeah. So, I- I didn't play any of these tournaments, so I don't know if I'm going to play the main event or not. I, I just can't stand being there. That same vibe you get hits me harder. It just, it's, just a, it's just a sickening feeling when I walk in and they just – I played, I played uh, one hand in a cash game, and I'm going to explain why I only lasted one hand. It was a new game. It was 5-10, no limit hold'em, and I won the button. Mm-hmm. So I straddled the button for $20. And now there they have this stupid rule where the small blind goes first. I think it's called a Mississippi straddle. So the small blind folded, and the big blind made it 50. Mm-hmm. 5, 10, 20 in the straddle. He made it 50. He got around to me. I made it 125. He folded. The dealer took $5 out. Remember, we hadn't seen the flop. This was all pre-flop. Yeah. He folded. He raised like three bet. He folded. $5 comes out of the pot. I said, what are you doing? 
And another player said, what are you doing? And call the foreman. Foreman said, nope, that's our rule. I said, really? So I picked my chips up and left. I'll say, I'll give this other guy credit. He picked his chips up and left, too. He said, I can't fucking play like that. <laughs> Didn't see a flop. They took the maximum rake. Yeah. So I'm plus $50 playing cash games at the Rio, and that's what I'm going to end up this year and the rest of my life is plus $50. So I can retire on a good note from that fucking dump. It just <laughs> reeks of – it's. I did a radio shot here, and, and we previewed the World Series, and, and I came up with, we're like a herd of cattle, and they branded us all sucker. Yeah. Because it's just unrelenting greed. It's just a ugly place to be, and you contrast that with a place where they were all smiling with you, where they comp meals left and right, where they made you feel at home, where they wanted you to be there. At yeah. the old World Series, where you got all the money back and tipped what you wanted to tip, not have them take 3% out of the, out of the pool, and then when you cash, they, uh, you want to leave something for the dealers. And then, yeah, and then went, like, put the sad face on them, and you know, well, you fucking asshole, you already took 3% out for the dealers. That's what you want to take out for them, that's what you're getting. Yeah. When I stayed at the, uh, in Vegas last year, um, I stayed downtown for a couple of nights just to sort of, you know, see venues and do all that stuff, and it was quite fun down on Fremont Street. That was like my idea, what I thought, you know, like old Vegas. I'm a little bit like nostalgic about that, even though, you know, I'm only 29 and I was never there. I just, you know, from films and stuff like that. But I stayed at the Rio and phoned room service and it reminded me of the line from Casino with De Niro at the end. It's like, you phone room service and it's there by fucking like Wednesday or something. I phoned them and they said, oh, room service will be like two and a half hour wait. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> just like, you know, it just made me think of that. So like, well, what do they care? They that? doubled the price on everything, and you ordered it. So yeah, of course. And then you know, that's you're right. It's just they don't care. There's a microcosm for the whole tournament. They just don't care. I think some of the people who work the floor do care, and try to make the experience okay, but most of them have no influence on what goes on, and it's just a bunch of bean counters who don't know poker looking at bottom lines. What can we charge? What can we rake? It's not how do we make it a better experience for the players? How much fucking money can we take from them? And yeah. there, there's the contrast right there. That's it in, in, in a nutshell. The horseshoe is how can we make the experience better so they can have a good time here so they'll gamble at my place as opposed to how much fucking money can we take and can we get another penny, penny a dollar out of them? Yeah. There's the horseshoe versus the Rio contrast. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's it does seem crazy um so like we speak about you know professional sports better and namely it's college basketball you know from what i've read and heard you speak about before um obviously there is crossovers in terms of money management and mindset and things like that with poker and sports betting absolutely what's your sort of daily routine alan with with being a professional sports better do you treat it like a job or you know absolutely i i uh I really had a shitload of talent for it, uh, but never really had much success. And the success happened when I started getting healthier. In my day, I drank a lot and did a lot of drugs. And I'm not embarrassed about it at all. In fact, I'm kind of proud of it. Uh, yeah. And people who aren't have never done drugs. So that's just in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you have this like this holier than not thou attitude about drug use, then you just haven't done drugs, or you're just a, a complete idiot, one yeah. or the other, or both. Anyway, when I started getting healthier, when I started going to the gym, when I started changing some eating habits, that's when a lot of my a lot of the clutter 
in my brain. A lot of the nonsense like lack of self-esteem and, and lack of self-confidence started disappearing. And it allowed my thought to flow a little bit better. And I started, like, killing it. And so my daily routine during basketball was I got up very early in the morning. And the old days, I'd get up and read every preview of every game. I'd be up at, like, 4 in the morning. But as the years went on, I, I felt like that was much ado about nothing. I was putting too much work in and not getting enough benefit from it. So, you know, I was basically killing myself too because, you know, six hours sleep tops and yeah. going at it the rest of the day. So now I get up and I tell the guy who does the betting, you know, I kind of go over it with him and try to figure out what we like and what he's going to bet for us. And then I start reading and go to breakfast, go to the gym and come home and I keep reading. And that's what I do 24-7 for five months. I read mm-hmm. local newspapers or websites of the colleges and think about the games. And I don't use any programs. I don't even use uh, a spreadsheet. That's the word. Yeah. I use nothing like that. I have old three-ring binders that are, I don't know even how old they are. And I do it all by hand, and I do it all in my brain. So yeah. I stay healthy, although less healthy lately. And... <laughs> <laughs> some of the drug use is creeping in again. Uh, but that's, that, that's, that comes with age too, I think. Anyway, uh, but I also had my best year ever last year. Like this is the best work I've ever done was last yeah. year at the age of 54. I'm like the last of the Mohegans here. No one who has any success like I have does it all by hand and does it all with his brain. So the logic yeah. part of my brain is definitely entrenched. It's definitely does, does good things. And if you're a poker player, and I, I, I don't know many of the kids who play poker, but I can't imagine that, you know, I know there's a guy who sells, like, healthy food at, at the Rio. Someone was talking about that at our table. Uh, mm-hmm. So they definitely have gotten to that part. And, but you really should have some routine where, you know, less so with poker because you might be in a good game that goes for two days. You know, I understand that, which is different than me where I have, a, you know, a set number of games that I have to look at every day. Yeah. And can kind of plan it out like that. But I, I, I never stop working anyway. I mean, you, with the Internet now, you can read forever about everything and, and constantly be learning about everything. Uh, but if I were a poker player, man, I, I would approach it the same way. I would try to eat healthy. I would try to get to the gym because just feeling good about yourself and feeling good about your body just creates a good vibe, a good energy. Yeah. And it creates, yeah, I, uh, it creates better poker play. It has to. It made my college basketball handicapping go like up like five levels. Yeah. Hold on a so, second. Uh, yeah, no problem. Oh, okay. Did you get the report from your mother in law? Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. All right. Um back to you. I, I think I think it's uh one of these things that it seems to be an almost spooky occurrence when people do start taking care of themselves and thinking a bit more positive, things do tend to you know, uh, sort of work out better for them, whatever field they're in. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, all the Eastern philosophies talk about energies, and I mean, we're all bundles of energies. Even the people who talk about Mercury being in retrograde affecting their mood. And I used to laugh at that, but you know what? They're right. We're bundles of energy, yeah. and anything that affects energy, like the tides, like the moon, has to affect us in some way yeah. that we'll never understand, or maybe a million years from now we'll understand. Or it has to affect us. Like- 
maybe we'll understand it if we do a lot of drugs together one time, Alan. <laughs> I'm here if you want. I've tried. Yeah. I've tried about all of them. So yeah. Well, I said. I mean, I I could talk about it on air and stuff. I you know I don't have anybody. I need to think it like yourself. See what I want. And my best and worst experience ever in my life was taking magic mushrooms in Amsterdam. I I complete weird trip. You know, lots of bad stuff and but lots of really like enlightening moments that were just like way out there. You know, yeah, like, all I, that sort of stuff. Totally understand. I'm not. I, I don't like acid, and and acid has to be done amongst people you really care about, or it can be very, very dangerous. Like you said, you've had your yeah, bad moments, and if you do it with anyone at all, you have any apprehension about, then it could really be a fucked up experience. Yeah, so I, I, I've never one. really enjoyed that. It's just that's like too out of control. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Wow, Alan Boston. But I've done I was, them all. <laughs> Other than that, I've done them all. Like, <laughs> yeah. and and for the most part, I've had very positive experience with them. I mean, if it's like anything else. I mean, if you go to Dairy Queen and, and order a cup of ice cream, it's 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 nice to have a cup of ice cream. But if you have five fucking gallons of it, you're probably going to get sick. Yeah, it's like so, cans yeah. of you know, bottles of Coca-Cola as well. I mean, that's the biggest drug going, and it's legal. You know, it's. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Don't no, figure. Well, how about the, the how about Juan Monsanto has forced you know their manipulated, the genetically driven corn on us, yeah. which is just and and I, I saw a documentary on it. It's just fucking awful what they they've done. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's really not land of the free anymore. And yeah. Well, but that's, again, that's for another show. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not encouraging drugs. Do your own research. <laughs> I'm encouraging to be open-minded about it. I have a hat that says, say maybe to drugs, and that's what I always, anyone younger who asks me about <laughs> it, that's what I suggest, say maybe to it. You're not going to drive your car when you're high. You're, you're going to do it with friends when you're partying, when you're looking to get laid. You know, like some of those things. Too. I'd like to see a school's, you know, initiative, like, say maybe to drugs. <laughs> you know, like, putting hats and free T-shirts out in the schools. Say maybe to drugs. <laughs> I got a hat. I got a hat that I wear. That's what it says. Oh, cool. Cool. So, like, your overall mindset, Alan, and this is from interviews I've heard with you before, um, you you're always talk about logical thinking and just, like, so, things that if you do take a, that second to stop, and literally use common sense and logic. You can sort of, and deduction. You can come to you know solutions and that were problems. I love the fact that you still use pencils and pens. Again, it's like just old school. I just love the. It's something romantic about that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. I'm an old yeah, school romantic for sure. I mean, people. That's how people almost universally describe me. Yeah, and the guy, you know, you've got Haralabos, the guy. The uh, it was on High Stakes Poker, and he's the basketball better and stuff, and he's. He's famous for his models and his spreadsheets and this formula and stuff like that. And, you know, and you've got, he's obviously very successful and you're obviously very successful, but you're doing it all with pens and paper. So do you think that's applicable to guys like, say, in the UK? Obviously, basketball's not huge in the UK, but, you know, soccer, you know, well, we call it football here, is big. Do you think some guy in Britain um, using logic and taking in all the information, absorbing all that can still do it? old school way and, and make money, you know, get an edge at, at sports band, whatever the field. I'm proof that you can, you know, yeah. I, I'm doing it by force because when I was a kid, we didn't have computers. I, I, I went to uh, university of Pennsylvania, which is a good school in Philadelphia, which has a great basketball tradition as Philadelphia does. So I went to all these basketball games. I was aware of what the point spread was because they had it in New York daily news. And I thought it was really cool because back in the day now, remember, I'm dealing in an era where a long-distance phone call was, was, wasn't automatic to do. 
Yeah. There was no internet. So all these guys, these guys, these, they're called wise guys at the time. How in the world do they know who's going to win the Creighton-Wichita State game when they live in Maine? You know, I'm talking, so 2,000 miles in the Midwest. Yeah. Where there's no way of even getting a score in the game. Like, you don't even know when they're playing half the time. Yet these guys knew who was going to win. How do you do that? And that intrigued me. And I read a book called The Handicapper by Robert Kalich, a great read. And page one of that book, there's this guy, the wise guy, the man. He's the man of college basketball. And he gets, like, this manic influx of phone calls. And he feeds it, let's say, into his internal database. We'll even say a modern word there. And he comes up with the winners. And like, you know what? I want to be that guy someday. And through rather a crooked path, I, I arrived out here and eventually became that guy. And, but I do it because I didn't have computers to use. I did it because I had nothing else to use but my brain. Yeah. So I've developed good instinct and, 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 and I think, how to think is developed like learning language. Like before the age of 25, if you haven't learned how to think properly, how to think logically, you're not going to get it. Yeah. It, it gets shut off at some point. So I developed all this logical thought at the right time. So when I did get to Vegas, I, it was all there and I just had to use it. And, you know, it's the same thing through reps. You kind of, learn what works and what doesn't. And so, you know, thinking logically and, and what you learn later is how to be open-minded where you realize you don't know everything and you're not the smartest person in the world. As soon as you figure those two things out, you're on your way. Yeah. So if it, it, it'd be harder for someone now, because why wouldn't you use a computer? It's much easier. But if someone eschewed using a computer model or a computer thought or, or crunching numbers and just watch the soccer game as a fan aware of what the points buzz were and did that day in and day out, you could do it. It's doable. Yeah. I'm living proof that it's doable. I, I outdid all these computer guys last year. And these are guys who were wildly successful. Yeah. Which is my brain because yeah. I can get at stuff that the computer can't like emotion and and little innuendos of how the game might have played out that the computer can't get at. You know, they might, the yeah. computer might be able to tell me literally how much literally this team is better than this team. But maybe they can't. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm even fooling out with tennis, and I'm just I, – I, I'm looking forward to Wimbledon big time. That's the one event I've always wanted to go to is Wimbledon. I'm, I, I'm trying to get myself to go there one year. I don't know. How hard are tickets to get? Or is it like sold out every day? Or yeah, I think people like queue overnight and sleep outside overnight to try and get tickets. Yeah, I'll get it from a scalper. I'll find. I'll figure it out. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I grass court tennis is amazing, and like yeah. all these clay quarters are now playing grass, and they they can't. And you know, so Leighton Hewitt is now rising to the is is coming back up in, in ranking because he's on his 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 comfy service. But again, this is just logic. I don't know how much better these tennis players are than the other. But you read a little bit about it, you look at some of their results, and, well, this guy doesn't look like he does too good on grass, you know, considering he's lost his last six grass matches. Uh, yeah. And I've actually made some money betting tennis just yeah. using logic. Here's a sport I don't know a heck of a lot about, but I like yeah. to watch it, and I like to think about it. So it, it is doable. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not – I'm you know, I, I'm a smart guy. I'm not, I'm not 
bragging, and my IQ is probably pretty high. Not as high mm-hmm. as it once was, but so it's not for everybody, but it's doable. That's the long-winded answer to your question. Yeah. Well, what's your thoughts on money management then? Maybe like starting out when you were starting out trying to build a bank. I'm not growth. good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at money management. Uh, when I went, when these couple guys got together and, and we went into a partnership, it was suggested that let's say we had a hundred thousand dollars that we'd make our biggest bet 6% of that or 6,000 and our small bets 2000. Now there's different, I know there's different models out there about how much you should bet and how much you shouldn't, you know, and given a certain, you know, it's like blackjack, you know, given a certain edge, if you keep it in these, these ranges, you won't go broke or, but screw that, you know. I just kind of wing it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm maybe a little, uh, a little too aggressive. Right. But and to I'm trying to day, win something. You, yeah. To this day, do you still wing it, or are you a little bit more reserved? I'm much more reserved than I once was. I'm also have someone else who does all the betting, so I have no say in it. Okay. <laughs> and he is very, very conservative. So. Right. And, that, and that's so probably a good thing too, because I, you know, I don't want to go broke in my fifties. That wouldn't be fun. Yeah. You know, I got close to it, and and it's it's not just not fun when you just have to start skimping when you're used to living like a pretty good life. Uh, How do you feel yourself, uh, Dale? What are the swings like with the sports betting? You know, compared with well, obviously poker. How do you find yourself handling like downswings and you know? You know, like it, you get used to it. It's like a learned behavior. It's almost yeah. Pavlovian, in in that you just learn to to to, to let it go. You know, yeah. I, I like motherfuck it for a second, and then I let it go, like. Uh, when it happens time and time again, it, it weighs on me a little bit. But if you don't let it go, man, it gets in the way, and yeah. you're screwed. And, and and as a result, you know, I don't steam at poker. I, I very good about getting up when I'm stuck, even if it's a good game, and just getting out of there, knowing yeah. my play might get a little shoddier when I get behind, which people do subconsciously and don't realize it. You know, they don't even realize it playing bad. That's that's probably the number one hole in most people's game. How do you play when you're behind? Yeah. Uh, I just get up and leave. And that's probably from the sports betting. It, it's tete-a-tete with the ability to take a bad beat and let it go. You know, uh, like in poker, like in sports, you know, if you're a good poker player and all the money goes in, you're probably going to have the best hand more often than not. So you're going to take more bad beats than not. Yeah. You better learn to let it go and, and just say, you know what, I had my money in good, I did well, I can't do any better than that, and... And if I can, I'll think about it later. But, you know, I had my money in 55-45 or 60-40. You know, I like how they call flips. A 55-45 is a flip. You know what? Give me fucking 55 every day for the rest of my life, and I'll be very happy. I'll be buying a new Ferrari soon. I can get 55 every day. Well, how the fuck is that a flip? Someone will explain that to me someday. I know. It's so weird. And, and, and then they just, like, carry, carry it off to the extreme. Like, you know, oh, I got it in flipping. Like, that's not flipping, you fucking retard. Yeah. It's like people battle so hard to get like a two or a three percent edge in some fields, and like to try and you know you're giving up a ten percent differential, fifty five forty five, and yeah. it's a flip. You're right. I mean, I, I you know, like a sports better who who shoots shoots for fifty six percent. That's like the ultimate. Yeah. Like you've you've really crushed it if you pick fifty six percent. So I'll take the fifty five and and be happy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so that's. What, Tying it all, tying it all in, um, in terms of you know logic and stuff like that. I just want to try and get a grasp of like your overall mindset, whether it's towards poker, whether it's towards sports betting, your overall sort of like how you tackle a problem or 
you know, a puzzle sort of thing, like just basically your mindset, the way you think. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to explain because it's so automatic. You know, like I said, it's like a learned behavior. Like yeah. if, if someone comes to me with a, a girlfriend problem, I, I, I kind of spit out what I think's going on and, and what I think should be said. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I could talk about a stud hand specifics where, you know, the, the most important thing that you can think of when you're trying to think logically is understand that what they don't do is just as important as what they do do. Mm-hmm. And that has to be like hammered home because if they don't do something, there's a lot of inferences to be taken from that and a lot of hands you can eliminate because they didn't do it. Now, you know, at the highest levels where people understand that, they might try to trick you by not doing it, but now they're playing bad. So, you know, there's, there's a fine line with, with, you know, skull playing something versus just playing it out because, you know, the other guy will know what you have. But anyway, that, that, that's getting a little out there. But yeah. I, I think that's the, well, best, the best I can say is, 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 you know, when I talk to this kid, when I taught this kid Nolan Hold'em, I, I, I talked stud hands, and I said, I know you're not going to understand it, but understand the logic as I described this hand I played and, you know, why I called a raise with 10 high. And, and he took it from there, you know. And so it's, it's hard for me to, to tell you what my mindset is. It's just, it just works properly, especially when I'm healthy. And there's, there's the rub, you know, when I talked about the clutter before, my mind just flows to the proper thought. Or, you know, especially when you're winning, when you're winning, you, you just see it clear as daylight. But I really can't describe the process because there really isn't one. I just kind of do it. Yeah, just instinctual. So. Instinctively, like, you know, uh, you know, a soccer guy, you know, sees a guy cutting to a certain point, and he knows exactly where to, where to kick it. Yeah. Or, you know, where the ball should be, and, and the guy, you know, cuts to that spot and hopefully deflects it in or, or whatever it is. But it's all yeah. automatic. It happens so fast, and he just knows what to do. And when I'm looking at a game, uh, I don't know. I, you know, just from all, the, all that I've read and all the data that's within me, all the knowledge that's within me, something just clicks. And when I'm, you know, at the top of my game, it clicks properly. And when I'm not, it may not click properly, but that's where talking it out can help. Because if you talk out how come you like something, and it doesn't really make that much sense, it's probably yeah. not very good. If the thought that, uh, if the reason why you played a poker hand, well, you know, so, you know, A, B, C, but the guy listening says, you know what, that's not very good, or yeah. here's what's wrong with your logic, then it's not very good. Yeah. I, 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 I wish I could, I wish I could give you a, a blow by blow, I, but I can't. I just oh, read and read and read and read and I react. And really, that's the highest level, isn't it? Like, just reacting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, lucky me. Someone, someone that was, you know, a natural talent and was touted as, you know, probably the best Hold'em player ever, certainly the best Gin Rummy player ever was Stu Unger. And Absolutely. It's well, it well publicized. You were, you know, friends with Stu Unger and spent a lot of time with him when he was alive and stuff. Could you maybe give us a couple of Stu Unger stories? And sure. You know what? Here's, here's, how, here's how I think. I never talked to Stewie about poker, and that's why he enjoyed his time with me because he was allowed to be himself, and that's something Stewie was never allowed. His upbringing was very strange. He 
got brought up playing gin rummy amongst or around gangsters, legitimate killers. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was their boy, you know. And I, I, I know someone who was at his bar mitzvah, uh, Stewie being Jewish. And at the end of the night, you know, he had all these envelopes in his, in his suit jacket. And he pulled them all out and shouted out, I'll play gin rummy f- with anyone in here for what's in these envelopes. <laughs> and, and like that's so stewy. He just like he just couldn't he just couldn't help himself. But but on to how I think Stewie thought about things. So Stewie was easily the best gin rummy player in the world. And here's a good gin rummy story with Stewie. And I, and I, I told this one before. Uh, Bill Cardone, who was a terrific pool player from the Pittsburgh area, uh, took Stewie to a wealthy guy's home. I think in Aspen, Colorado which is one of the nice areas of the States. And Billy's watching Stewie play, and it comes down to the last three cards. And Stewie whispers the three cards to, Mr. to Billy Cardone. You know, here's the three cards that are left. And they finish the hand, and it's a wash, no one gins. And now the wealthy old guy who's, you know, who they're trying to beat asks Billy, what does Stewie whisper to you there near the end of the hand? And Billy said, very plain-faced, he said, you know what, this is the toughest Jim Rummy opponent I've ever faced in my life. And Stewie, of course, jumped up and said, no, tell him what I really did. Tell him what I really did. I told him what the last three guys were. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like Stewie just couldn't help himself. It was just, I mean, he would, he would so much love being in this limelight. He would have been the perfect guy to, to maybe even get poker to, to a level it, it didn't dream of and not be the, the, the greed fest that, that these places have allowed it to become. Uh, Stewie, Stewie and I, Stewie would come up every night and I'd order room service and we'd watch Jeopardy. He loved watching Jeopardy with me. He couldn't beat me at Jeopardy, but he loved watching Jeopardy. And here's the final, the final question. The final Jeopardy answer was uh, this 1961 Academy Award winner uh, by director Billy Wilder, so-and-so, so-and-so. And Stewie jumped up, the apartment! And that was the answer. And like, that was like, he was like in heaven because he got the final Jeopardy answer right. He was like so happy. But we had our chit chats nightly. He asked me once, he gave me a gin problem once and it involved me making three plays where I threw a card and, and the guy didn't take it. And I threw another card and the other guy did take it. And a couple discards from the other guy. And he said, all right, Boston L. He called me Boston L. Boston L. He said real fast, Boston L. What four cards must this guy have? Now, you know, Mr. Mr. IQ here thought about it. And a minute, a minute and a half later, I came up with the answer. And he got all excited. Boston L. I knew you'd get it. That's great. But I figured it out on my own. And I'm like, yeah. And then I understood just how smart this kid was. He laid out the parameters, parameters of a fairly simple logic problem to me, and I got the answer. But he figured it all out while he was playing. There were no parameters. There were no, you pick this card and pick this card. He figured out a way to think about it in his own. And let me guess at how I think he figured it out. Remember, he started playing gin at a very young age. He had a very good mind, and he developed some strategy where he could picture his opponent's hand. So I'm assuming because... My young friend told me he had like a television screen that flashed no limit hold'em hands in front of him, and when the right one hit, 
it would stop there. That's the way he described him. He thought he was going nuts, and in some ways he yeah. was, but uh, because he became bipolar uh, very sadly. But he was right, and, and that's how Stewie did it. Stewie had a grid in his head, spades, clubs, hearts, diamonds, one through 13, or, or ace through 10, Jack Queen King. And I don't know if you know how to play gin rummy, but let's say I throw the nine of spades out of my hand early on in a gin hand. Well, it's not likely I have any other nines. So Stewie in his brain would scratch out four nines off the grid. He would also scratch out the eight and the ten of spades because if I had eight nine of spades early in the hand, I'm probably going to hold on to it and try to make you know, the three straight flush. Yeah. And as the hand progressed, he would take inferences by what cards were thrown and eliminate spots from this grid. And he had the ability to look at his hand, knock those spots off, and picture the hand of, the, of his opponent. And yeah. that's what made him so good at Nolan and Nolan Hold'em, is number one, he played every hand, which you know he did before anyone else. He understood when the Annies get out there, he raised every pot. It didn't matter what he had. Because Nolan yeah. would stand up to him, first of all, so he just kept, you know, he was probably taking, uh, you know, six to five, seven to five, or eight to five, whatever the hell it was, every time he raised, and he just took it. He understood that. But... Yeah. There's a YouTube video that Stewie went to Gabe because he just lost his big pot. This is in 97 now when he won it. And Gabe Kaplan criticized him or something, which was not a smart thing to do. <laughs> and Stewie's there. like he's, he's a fucking hotel owner, you know. <laughs> I knew he yeah. didn't have an ace, though. I knew he didn't have an ace. I knew he didn't have an ace. And the flop came ace high. It was ace seven deuce. I think the guy had seven deuce or something like that. It was irrelevant what he had. He fought bottom two, but Stewie knew he didn't have an ace. So he thought he could get him off the hand. And there you go again with what they don't do, what they don't have. And I'm sure the kids who were starting years ago, you know, knew Stewie was the man and saw that video. And that helped them, number one, with their aggression. And number two, well, if they don't have it, I could put enough heat on them where I can get them off almost whatever they, whatever they do have. And, you know, I'm sure those kids who won a lot of money early on just put so much heat on a guy when he showed any kind of weakness at all that the pot was theirs, whether they had it or not. And occasionally they'd look them up and the kid actually did have it. And then the, then the guy got stacked. So that is it. So we were just ahead of the pack. Other than that, it was about, you know, a waiting game in the woman hold them. Yeah, um, I mean the way the way you describe that with the the grid system, your any sort of mind's eye is the word. Even when you look at him, the way he acted sometimes at the table, he seems very, you know, agitated and stuff. A little bit like you know savant qualities, like he just he was just he was savant quality, but that was because of his upbringing. He only knew gin rummy. He didn't know anything else. He only knew about hanging around with gangsters and having just this carefree, no uh, responsibilities. He was taken care of all the time because he was a money-making machine for him. Uh, it wasn't his fault. And because he had no balance in his life, because that's all he knew, when he came out here and now he plays Norman Holdem and he's never even played the game before and he wins and then he wins again the next year, his life had nowhere to go. He had conquered yeah. and proven he's the best at the only thing he knew. So where yeah. do you go from there? You got to make life interesting, right? Life is about dreams and challenges, and, and you know, and and 
but Stewie didn't have a care in the world. He didn't care about making money because he always could get it. And his only dream was to be the best, and now he's the best. So now where does he go? Yeah. So he turned to drugs. It makes things exciting. Or he, or he figured out a way to, to borrow enough money and get himself in trouble where life could be interesting because now he has to dig himself out of, out of tremendous debt. Yeah. You know, where now he can't get any more money because he's borrowed so much, and, and there's only so much these guys can do to say, well, when he's not paying you, you know. You can't do that with everybody. And, you know, I, he got married, he had a kid, and he adopted a kid. Uh, or, you know, I don't know if he adopted it or the kid was his uh, wife's first kid. But I was with him when he got the news that his, his stepson had committed suicide. And I was with him. I, I, I was with him the moment that he got the news. And I just saw his aura just completely change. Stewie was always this happy-go-lucky kind of carefree person but when he got that news it's like that was it and you know having his daughter even though he loved her dearly just wasn't enough now i think he just he just had nowhere to go he had already conquered gin rummy and now he lost someone he cared about i'm sure he had some guilt about maybe not being the best dad he could have been because he was such a he was so hyper he definitely was an add candidate you know they they definitely call him add nowadays and yeah. maybe even put him on Ritalin or not. But, uh-huh. yeah, he, he was brilliant, but he developed that early on in life because he, 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 obviously he was gifted, but he didn't develop anything else. His social skills were a little quirky at best. Uh, he was definitely prone to, to, to temper tantrums. And, but I think it was all a result of his upbringing, right? I mean, yeah. pit bulls are mean because the owners create him that way, not because they want to be. And... Mm-hmm. You know, fucked up upbringings can really destroy kids. And Stewie's upbringing wasn't necessarily bad, but it was fucked up for sure. Where he only knew gin, 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 gin. And he only knew, you know, to be around Italians who got what they wanted. Gangsters, wise guys, whatever you want to call them. uh, Mafioso. I don't, you know, I don't even know if that's around anymore. But when the real world set in, which is basically what happened when he conquered all that he could, where he had a wife that he cared about and a daughter he loved, and now his stepson commits suicide, and I'm sure he's saying, you know, I could have done better to himself. I'm, I'm, this is all guessing. But yeah. I saw that energy leave him. He became a different person that day. And when he came back in 97 and then won the whole thing, it was probably the worst thing that could have happened to him. Because yeah. had he lost, he probably would have hung on a little while longer. Because now he had conquered everything completely, and now he really had nowhere to go. And with nowhere to go, he basically died of misery. Because life had no meaning to him. It had nothing for it him to do, because he, he, he didn't play sports, he didn't go to movies, he didn't do anything. He didn't yeah. even know how to take care of things. And he had a dog, and I mean, I'd go to his house, and, and like the shit was piled up like all over the place. And so you got to clean this. And what do you mean i got to clean it? Like, he didn't even understand you have to clean up dog shit. Yeah, and again, that's just upbringing or yeah, lack of. It really is. It, well, it really is. Had he hung on, had he hung on, he would have been a celebrity, and he would have reveled in that. He yeah. would have reveled in that, and the whole poker world would have changed because, you know, I don't know who the great players are, but they could not beat Stewie, and if they did, it wouldn't take him long to figure out how to beat him, and it would have ma- it would have raised the bar on all games. Because Stewie, his mind was so logical 
you know, and, and I'm sure that grit is how he did it. I can't do that. I, I don't know who could unless you start training yeah. yourself at a young age. You know, how many people are playing gin rummy when they're eight years old too? And that's all they're doing. Yeah. You're playing yeah. baseball or, or football in your country uh, or cricket or whatever, even pool, something. You're not playing gin rummy. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and that allowed his mind to figure out how to play gin properly. And he, he was obviously a really smart guy. But that's all he had. And, but had he could have hung on, man, it would have been, it would have been so cool. Because at the end, it was really sad. And, and, you know, just how sad it got was I was at the Mirage playing stud, and I got a phone call, and it was Stewie. And Stewie said, can you leave 2000 with Donna? Donna Harris worked at the Mirage at the time. And I said, sure, Stewie, no problem. You know, there was no chance I was getting it back, but it was Stewie, yeah. so I, I could never say no. And I left the word, and Donna looked at me and said, I'm really sorry, Boston. Because she understood just, you know, that Stewie wasn't Stewie anymore. Yeah. And, you know, when he passed away, it was, it was you know, I cried, obviously. He was, he was a good friend. And people didn't realize that. But drug buddies bond better than most buddies, right? I mean, yeah. basically, that's what we did. He came to my room. We did coke and drank wine and talked. But we didn't talk about poker. We talked about everything else. And he had a great, great sense of humor. And I would laugh, and you didn't want to laugh my jokes, Boston. Now you get all my jokes, you know. And <laughs> I, 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 it was only for a couple weeks a year, and twice a year I'd come out during once during the uh, Hall of Fame that Eric Drake ran at, at the Nugget, and then uh, during the World Series in, in April, May, before the Rio greedily changed it to June, July because there's not as many tourists in town in June, July. Right, it's 120 fucking degrees here. Or when it's 85, 90 in like perfect weather for the entire time, well, their rooms are full. So let's move the World Series back to where we can fill our rooms some more. So, yeah, Stewie and I weren't best friends, but in some ways I might have been his best friend because I was one of the few people that he could just be himself around with no worry about me trying to take advantage of anything. I'm not trying to get poker knowledge from him. I'm not trying to borrow money from him. We just hung out. Yeah. And we played off each other, and isn't not the best relationships where you just play off your 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 mate. Yeah. In this case, friend. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it sucks, and and I I do get a little melancholic thinking about it because he really was a good egg. He really was a good guy, and yeah. you know it wasn't his fault. And I, I remember uh, Stupak telling him, "Listen, I'm going to take care of you." And what better for, for, you know, a poker champion than who's going to be, you know, don't worry about it. You're going to get stake for all you want. Or you're going to have money to play poker with and don't worry about it. And yeah. it still wasn't enough because what did he have to prove in poker? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everyone knew he was the best and there was nothing more to, to conquer. And when you lose ambitions and dreams in, in life, it can get a little ugly. And depression. Yeah. yeah, it sounds yeah, real depression. Right. All right. Well, we'll try and pick up a little bit. What would be your advice to some young guy starting out, whether he was looking to get into professional, you know, let's just say professional gambling. You know, forget whether it's poker or sports. What would I wouldn't be your, do it. Uh, you, you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. It's 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 the people who make the lines are are getting better and better and better. Uh, it. It's a full-time job, and I mean a full-time job. I mean, you know, my friend, the, the people who, who I still talk to during basketball, like, they know I'm a, I'm a hermit. Like, I'm in the house for five months, and yeah. I go to the gym, and I go eat breakfast, and that's it. Like, 
Boston, you coming out tonight? No. <laughs> of course not. And that's all day, every day. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough where I have enough games in a five-month period that I can make enough to last for a year. Uh, it kind of runs out eventually, you know, and I really probably should pick something else up like poker or maybe another sport to tackle. But to try to beat all these people with these sophisticated programs and and these numbers crunchers means you're going to have to do something better, you know, like Haralbus did, obviously. I don't know much about him, but I know, you know, he used to do it like me yeah, using logic, and then he just couldn't do it that way anymore because whatever he had didn't work. So give him credit for going out and figuring out how to beat it uh, mm. in, in, in a more modern approach. But you really – I think the way to beat it is, is to be like me because everyone else is a computer programmer. So you want to do something different than the rest of the world. You want to have a different approach where you might find things that they don't find, where it's yeah. not just this team is so much better than, than this team, you know, and they're 1.2 goals better or 1.2875 goals better. You know, you know what? I think it's this team's game tonight. I think this team's going to be a little flat because I think they don't really care about this team. And, you know, they might be able to pull the upset because, you know, they just want a big game and they got the headed next and that's their, you know, their big home game of the year. And, you know, something – it's not numbers oriented, something where you wing it. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, that's something where I was fortunate to have trained myself unknowingly during college. And again, this is, I'm just guessing, obviously I don't know how a mind works. I'm not a scientist, but I'm guessing that I developed this instinct by going to those games and knowing the point spreads and it just all, came together, it was automatic for me. To, like I said, I can't explain my process of thinking because it's just automatic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone starting out, I think if, if they did, they'd have to pick a sport that they love, that they enjoy, that they, they can't get enough of, and work your ass off and be open-minded and get healthy and yeah. then hope. <laughs> Uh, hope that you can find someone, you know, and it's, it's so hard to work up to, you have to have money to start to, I mean, cause you just can't, your edges are so small that, you know, so if you bet $500 in a game, which is quite a bit of money, you know, what am I earning on it? $5? Yeah. $10 maybe. That's mm-hmm. all you're earning $10 on 500. So, yeah. you know, 20 games a week, you're earning $200. So you really have to bet quite a bit to, to allow yourself to earn a living. So you, you need yeah. some backing too. Uh, uh-huh. It's really hard. I wouldn't want to be a young poker player trying to beat it. Now, like everyone plays pretty good. Like yeah. everyone says what a, what a, what a great event the, the main event is now. Well, first of all, they chop 6%. So there's 6% that you don't have anymore. And second of all, all the bad players got better. Yeah. Right? That's why you see different people every year. And you see a lot of bad players getting there, too, and it just ran good for, for, you know, seven, eight days. You see stuff that you wouldn't even dream of. And, you know, I, I, you know you, the last few years, it seems like the, the standard of play has gotten a lot better. Uh-huh. But prior to that, some of those guys that won, you, you'll never hear from again because they can't play a lick. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think the main event is such a big deal. The seniors event is. <laughs> yeah. Because those, you know, it might be the only tournament most of those people play the whole the whole year. But even that play has gotten better. Like a lot of people just weren't giving their money away. A guy actually yeah. tried to bluff me on the river. 
and it was a good bet. He actually made a good value bet bluffing on the river, and and I, you know, logically I figured out that I probably still had the, even though I had no pair, I probably still had the best hand, and, and I called. But you know, try fading that. It's a fucking seniors event, and they're doing that. So <laughs> I'm serious. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't think, I don't think poker's a way to go. Uh, and if you do, I, I, I think, I think limit poker rather than no limit, because there's not a lot of great limit poker players, right? Mm-hmm. Like your boy Phil Locke there. I mean, he doesn't play limit poker. Of course, he doesn't play no limit either, in my eyes. But, <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, if I was starting in, in poker, I'd try to learn some of these these newer games, Badoogie and you know, Open Face Chinese seems to be the uh, crack of the month. Uh, yeah, I think that's very mathematical. I think that that game, someone really smart will figure out exactly. I think that's going to be like blackjack, where yeah, you're oh, dealt oh. these, you know, these five cards to start. There is only one way to do it. That's mathematically mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. Yeah, that has to be right. Yeah. So that game will get old quickly. Sort of like Chinese poker when they started that. Well, then the, the sheet came out on the computer for exactly what, what every hand was worth in every position, and you just had to memorize the chart and figure out how to arrange your cards. And so it was just, you know, this hand's worth 0.3%, this hand's worth 0.8%, this hand's 0.7%, and compare that to the other way to arrange the hand where it's worth, you know, less. Well, I'm going to go yeah. with what's worth more. And, you know, so that became old quickly. I have a feeling the open-faced Chinese will get, get old a little slower because it's going to be a much bigger chart to memorize, right? There's a lot more, a lot more to it. Uh-huh. But certain people will emerge that, you know, ran their, I don't even know how they do it. They'd probably run simulation after simulation after simulation and, and figure out what the best move is given any five cards and then memorize it or understand the concept behind it. So, you know, I don't think that'd be the way to go. I think learning uh, some of these limit games because there's still big mixed limits that are being played that are, I heard from some, you know, very good games. But again, uh-huh. they're big limits. You need money. And it'd just be really hard for some young kid to to become a, to a sports veteran or a poker player for that matter. I really believe that. It would take someone very special. Yeah. So So j- j- just to finish then, um, sure. you said for the five five months, you know, you're, you're hard at it, making your money for the rest of the year. What does Alan Boston do for the other, you know, uh, seven months of the year? How does he relax? What does he, what does he enjoy? Or, or are you just that type of person that you're still constantly thinking about the game and the edges and the betting? And you know, I used to think about college basketball for seven months a year, five months while I was doing it, and two months when I wasn't, and then I'd go to Maine for the summer. Maine is in New England, northeast part of our country, and mm-hmm. just an amazing place i'd go live in the beach for five months and i'd chill i just walk the beach and find joys and smaller things uh i took up golf briefly and and enjoyed that until you know when you're trying to learn a game in your 40s and you take five months a year off and you haven't developed that good instinct uh, the good repetition like you know i could still go to a batting cage and probably hit a line drive somewhere because i played baseball all the time as a kid but Golf I didn't play as a kid and yeah. didn't learn, got mistaught by someone and, and learned some bad habits. So that kind of got old for me where I, I would get good by the end of the summer. And then when I started again, I sucked because I'd just go back to my old bad habits because the, the good ones weren't ingrained. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd have to relearn them and relearn them. And so 
I'm I, at one time I wanted to be a film critic, so I'm starting to get into movies a little, a little bit again. Uh, I am listening to a lot more music than I used to listen to. I guess I'm acting a little old here. Uh, <laughs> I still go to the gym. I'm pulling yeah. around, like I said, betting a little tennis, betting a little baseball, and kind of finding some enjoying that. And uh, I don't know. I'm actually got kind of boring. <laughs> I, I hang out with my dog. I, I can't leave her alone. I have a great yeah. great Dane I adopted 18 months ago, and I uh, don't like leaving her. I used to enjoy the World Series of Poker, but as we mentioned earlier, why it's so hard for me to even walk in there. Like, I walk in there, and I just get avalanched with negativity, and I almost feel sick. <laughs> it's the yeah, truth. It's, it really is the yeah. truth. You know, much what you felt, I feel 100 times harder, because I remember when it was the joy I'd do basketball, and then a couple weeks later, here we go, the World Series of Poker starting. Like, wow. And even though I wasn't a poker player, I was a part of that, as Mickey Alpman called it, the convention of gamblers that occurred for six weeks a year yeah. in April, May. And then when that was over, I'd go to Maine for the summer. So I really had a, a great schedule, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate to have been able to have done that for all those years. But now I can't afford to go to Maine, and... I'm kind of stuck here in a house that I probably can't afford. And, but I'm looking forward to moving to Charleston, South Carolina. I went and caddied for my son back there and fell in love with the place. So that's what I'm uh, looking forward to, moving yeah, to well, Charleston. Hope, hopefully next year uh, Negrano yeah, uses his place on the WSOP. He's on some panel or something. You know what? I texted him. I texted him, and he, he laughed because I never text, and he knows that. And he said, don't worry about it, Boston. We'll have a couple more stud events next year, maybe a 1,500, yes. maybe a 5,000. So he, he got back to me and said, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. So, yeah, cool. and good for him. I mean, he, he, he did, did the right thing, and I told him, you know, thank you for doing the right thing. And, and he was right. You know, the, the pros, what he explained to them is pros don't want to play $1,500 and Hold'em events every day. And that's mm -hmm. basically what they scheduled, like nonstop Nolan Hold'em's cheap. And yeah, just Ivy's not going to play them. Like, uh, yeah. Remember, Ivy, Ivy's a stud player. Yeah. That's what Phil did for years. And when he moved to Vegas, he learned the other, learned the other stuff. And obviously, he learns it well. I mean, obviously, he's great. Uh, but he's not in Stewie's league. But mm -hmm. that, the ground used his, his name specifically. Like, well, Ivy is not going to play these games. And you're going to lose your brand because it's, it's going to mm -hmm. totally – lack relevance, right? I don't think he used, said yeah. it like that, but that's, that's what he was implying. That if the pros aren't playing these events, what have you got? Yeah. And really, they have 62 events. You know, it's not hard to schedule a couple where maybe you're not going to chop as much as you would in some of these other ones. It's, the original spirit of the World Series of Poker was to keep poker alive, not for the Harris to make money. Yeah. And keeping poker alive means even if they brought back draw lowball or something, you know, some game that hasn't been played for years. Well, that'd be, that'd be cool by me because that was a, yeah. a very important poker game. California Split was, was draw low ball. The greatest gambling movie ever made by, by Miles. California yeah, Split, think... for all those people who haven't seen it, is, is must. Absolute must. Yeah, it just seemed to me the only thing they sort of did in terms of heritage or history is threw up those posters, you know, of the previous winners, <laughs> which are just... <laughs> they didn't do anything real. I, it, it wasn't what I had in my head. And, uh, the, 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 play, 
the place just looked worse than it. You know, on ESPN, you only see the like the, the final table bit where they're playing the events and the lights, and it's kind of doesn't look that bad. But when you're there, it's like the colours or something. I don't know, like all that shit hanging from the ceilings, all the metal. It was just, I just it's depressing, right? Really yeah, it really it is. It really was. Cause and I kind of felt bad because I was expecting like. I love poker. I love playing poker. Why? Why am I not liking this? What's wrong with me? Why am I not like jumping? Because this is because know, you're an intelligent guy who gets it, and you understand that this isn't really poker. This is about a corporation making as much as they can, and not yeah. even pretending. I mean, they do pretend with all the fucking posters and all the nonsense. Yeah. You know, it's like a, like I said. You know, it, like a herd of cattle, and they brand us all sucker. It, it is. It's like a factory. Where you know we're going to produce as many players as we can to rake as much as we can, and it has that feel of a factory with the stuff being kind of dull and gray and really everything the same. Like it's just I know. Ugh. I mean, I've I the last two guests I I, I do a podcast with uh, Alex Fitzgerald, the young guy, online pro. He's based in Costa Rica, and uh, he was saying the same thing about the World Series. He's not playing it this year. He just He's happier playing online from Costa Rica and just spending time with his dog and his girlfriend as well and just enjoying life rather yeah, good than for going him. there and, and playing and, you know, raking stupid on, on his good mind. Good for him. That's awesome. And, yeah. and, and if that got if stuff like that got published, that'd be, you know, where he's totally respected probably. Yeah. That'd yeah, be amazing. Yeah. The kid obviously gets it and good for him. Alex, Alex Fitzgerald, is, is that his name? Yeah, Alex Fitzgerald. I'll yeah. definitely use him as a, as a, a reference in... in future discussions about what's wrong with the World Series of Poker, and here's what's right about, you know, this kid's yeah. approach, you know, where yeah. he won't even come, and, he's, and he certainly would make money when he's here, you know, but he don't care, because yeah. why the fuck you want to go through all that? And yeah. bang, bingo, you know, that's it in a nutshell, and good for him. Uh, he should that's be proud it. of himself. So let's, uh, let's end on a high note, and we'll do something quite funny. Um, you're, you're quite outspoken against uh, Phil Lack and uh, his pal Esfandiari, um, so let, I'm going to say a couple of pros, and you can give me like uh, Alan Boston, like uh, you know, a couple of no more than a sentence about each. Yeah, match. the problem is I don't know a lot of the players, but we'll try it. We'll try it. Okay, all right. So Phil Lack being the first one. Someone who's not as smart as he thinks he he is, who created uh, a product that that worked at least briefly. Okay. Uh, Barry Greenstein. Total gentleman who I wish success for who is not as smart as he thinks he is either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any poker players are smart as they think they are. <laughs> uh, this is, this is, but he's, he's a total gentleman. I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Uh, let me think. Phil Ivey. Uh, amazingly talented who... I suggested to watch California Split 2 because uh, things were getting a little California Split ending for him for a while. And when you watch California Split, you'll understand. Okay. I, I, think, I think he had a little Stewie in him where, where he think, you know he almost like conquered everything and he had to find other ways to, to keep things interesting. And now you see what the result of that is. So I actually kind of might have called that right. But he's incredibly talented and... and and to me, seemed like a class act. I think others might disagree now, but that's for another day. Howard Lederer. Uh I was best man at his wedding, so this is going to be slanted, but... 
and this is going to surprise people, but he's one of the nicest, big-hearted people I've ever met in my life. Not a great Norman Holden player by any stretch of the imagination, but a great Limit Holden player, but just a total gentleman who really doesn't deserve what has happened to him. And when the movie or book is made, I think he'll come out in a much, much better light than, than he's come out right now. He's not playing any events because his life gets threatened, and it's just not worth it to him. Mike Matasso. One of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet in your life. The biggest heart of anyone I ever met in my life. I'm sorry to repeating big-hearted, but really very limited in poker ability and extremely limited. But <laughs> a super nice guy. Like, just, just a saint. Okay, and the last one, Alan Boston. Uh, uh, a very uh, conflicted and tormented soul. <laughs> cool. But, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed myself. Oh, that's and, good. Um, that's what it makes so, it worth it, then. Yeah, and these podcasts, as I say, I just do them when I get guys on that I really want to talk to. And, you know, so it's – I do this site. I, I don't make any money from – well, I make a little bit. But, uh, that's all right. <laughs> you're allowed. It. You're putting time in yeah. as you know it. I, I do it as a passion. You know, guys I want to speak to from a past point of view. And I, I really enjoyed myself. And uh, hopefully a lot of the listeners will, will, you know, enjoy it and get in touch with some feedback and stuff. I hope so. Uh, I hope you do enjoy it. What is it, oneouter.com? Yeah, oneouter.com. I'll look yeah. for it, and if there's any uh, comments on there, maybe I'll uh, even try to, I don't know if you have a form or anything, maybe I'll try to even get on there and, and answer them. So. Yeah, um, we don't have a form, but we get like plenty. We're on Facebook, people liking stuff like that, and Twitter and stuff, so uh, I'll, I'll retweet if we get any nice like things and stuff. Uh, yeah, um, what's my Twitter? At Boston Red 88, I think someone told me, something like that. Yeah, at Boston Red 88, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, well, very good. Okay. Well, thanks for reaching out for me. I enjoyed it, too. I, I like uh, uh, spewing my venom and uh, speaking for what I believe. And, uh, you know, Howard Cosell had, had one of the best quotes ever. I, I did what I believe in. I did what I believed in, and I was unafraid. And, yeah. you know, if you can do that, then, then you're a winner in life. And, and, you know, go Alex Fitzgerald. I'll uh, be rooting for him. Brilliant, Alan. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, you can get yourself a massive $70 discount from our sponsors, PokerXFactor.com. They offer the best in poker training with lots of new videos each week from some of the top names in online poker. Just use coupon code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0.